0: All right, so you guys ready? I'm excited, man. When you just when you release the Holy Spirit to work, uh, it's it's powerful. So uh, let's go to Matthew chapter seven. I'm going to read a chunk of scripture to you, and I know that sometimes uh, that can be a bit laborious, but uh, I hope that you uh, I hope that you can stay engaged. Okay, so I'm going to read. I'm going to start in verse 15. I'm going to read this whole passage just because I don't want to break up the words of Jesus here. Even though uh, to do that, I should probably read three chapters, but I'm not going to do. That. He says, beware of false prophets in verse 15 of chapter 7. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them. What does he say? You will know them by what? By their fruits. He says, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Apparently the tree and the fruit are tied together, right? Apparently there is a connection between the type and the fruit produced, okay? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, this is a sobering passage, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen to that. Not everyone who says to me, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, listen to what he says, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great, great was its fall. So you read that apart from everything else, and you go, man, that's kind of an intense, an intense saying, but in conjunction with everything that he said in Matthew 5 and Matthew 6, he has just explicitly defined the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus, and then he wraps it up by saying, and if you hear and do not do, right? He says the key to all of this is the connection that is from hearing and receiving translating into doing and being, right? Right? Because if he leaves it alone, if Jesus doesn't go into that statement, then it's very easy for us to go, okay, I hear you. And theoretically, Jesus, I get that that is, that is a great way to live your life. And we may write a book about it. We may, we may name it after, uh, after something Jesus said, right? And it would, it would be great theory. But Jesus says, this cannot be theory. I'm teaching you this so that you might hear, but then do. And again, the context of this passage, guys, the context of this passage is speaking to disciples. So I've taught this at length and in detail before, but I'm going to give you just an overview of what, what that actually meant. So Jewish boys would come up uh, in a system of schooling where they would progress from one stage of schooling to the other. They would begin, there's a, there's a lot of argument on when it's actually appropriate for, uh, for children to begin uh, learning uh, the scriptures, but it's about five years old. And from about five years old into, uh, into their teenage years, they would, they would devote countless hours and energy Memorizing and studying the scriptures. Literally, it was this time of just ingesting. All they would do was just—the uh, uh, the picture is just uh, eating the scriptures, taking it in. Right? They would—they would memorize. Guys, it's ridiculous. Uh, by the time they were in um, twelve and thirteen years old, that's memorized. Anybody got that on their resume? Now I'm cheating. Actually, I left a few pages out. I've got Zechariah pinned here, so complete devotion to the word and as they would show improvement and skill it was like uh, the elite class the, the top of the class would move on into this next next section of schooling the goal being the highest honor of this system of schooling being uh, becoming a rabbi right? so they were, they were in pursuit of becoming this great teacher of the very thing that they loved which was the law and the scriptures of God so the elite would move on at every stage and I, I don't, I'll teach that maybe again at some point uh, but you can go back online and listen to the, that in-depth. That was last year sometime. Uh, no, never mind, it's not online. Just kidding, I'll have to do it again. But the goal being they would advance to this, to this end of schooling. And once they were done with schooling, they, had, they were kind of in this season, this period of waiting. If at, any point they, if at any point they failed out, they would just go and pursue their father's trade. So we know that the disciples were not the elite. Because why? They were pursuing their father's trade. We know, we know that Jesus didn't go to the elite, but he went to those who were, had already been kicked out of school, right? But Jesus says, I'm going to use the foolish things to confound the wise. So this doesn't, uh, this doesn't shock us, right? But the goal being, you finish this, this period of school, and then a rabbi would come to you. And you would, lear, you would learn the rabbi's yoke, but he would call you by saying, follow me, right? A rabbi would come to you, and he'd say, follow me. And he's saying, follow me, because literally that's what you would do. For the next season of your life, the next chapter of your life, you would take the yoke of the rabbi, meaning his, his version, his teaching of the law. You would take that yoke upon you and you would follow him everywhere he went. You would eat like him. You would drink like him. You would eat and drink when he ate and drank. You would, you would uh, speak as he spoke. You would teach as he taught. You would learn the scriptures as he interpreted the scriptures. We have a, we have a sign out here that Catherine, are you here, Catherine? Yeah, that Catherine painted. It's this awesome, awesome painting out here. Uh, it says, I pray that you'd be covered in the dust of your rabbi. It was a saying that literally you would follow your rabbi so closely that the dust that was kicked up from his feet would cover you. Right? This was an honor to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. We've, again, we've studied this before. But did they, did they follow the rabbi because they wanted to be able to, to uh, understand like him? Partly but they just spent 12, 13, 14 years of their life studying. Why did they follow the rabbi? Any thoughts? They trusted what he said. Why why were they following him? They could just open the book and read it, right? What was important about following a rabbi? Yeah, to live it. The highest honor of the disciple is to actually live out what he's he's been learning, right? The disciple would follow the rabbi not so he could swell his head more, but so that he could see all of this stuff that I've memorized, all of this stuff that I've learned. What does it look like to live it? What does it look like to believe this to the point of lifestyle is the reason that they would follow a rabbi. It's a... a, uh, a saying within the rabbinical community. It says the true disciple learns that he may do. So the learning is pointed at the doing. He learns so that he may do and not just merely know. See, that's, that's very different in our culture, is it not? We learn so that we may know. We set ourselves to knowing as much as we can. We've, 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 we've even formulated technology around just knowing and how fast can you know, right? They're saying now that your are generation and generations below you, uh, and I'm, this is not an insult, it's just your brain is shifting, uh, so don't take it as an insult, but you're some of the dumbest generations because you don't retain any information. Because what you've learned to do, and I don't mean dumb like it's a bad thing, okay? But you don't retain information, you just retain how to get it. Does this make sense? You don't, you don't remember what you've read. You don't remember what you've studied. You just remember how to get to the information because all of our pursuit in our culture is, is how to know and how to know fast, right? So you know the tools that can get you the information. I, I'm a product of this. How many times do you Google in a week? Right? Because we know that I don't have to remember what I read. I can just get it quickly and I can get it. I, I mean, I can pick this up and I can get it as fast as I want to get it, Right? Does that make sense but the goal of learning here and, and the context in which jesus is teaching the goal is not to know so that we might know more the goal to learning is to doing so i want you to go to uh to james man if you don't ever if you don't read james with a helmet on uh you should because somebody says turn to james and i'm like dang it <laughs> He's going to tell me something I don't want to hear, right? James is rough, but it's so good. And then I want to just, I want to show you this, how this is meant to look after we, after we look at James. But Jesus, uh, he explicitly says, you've got to hear and then you've got to do. And James in chapter 1, you've, you probably all know this passage, right? James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, But be doers. Of the word and not hearers only. Listen to what he says about being a, a hearer only and not a doer. He says you've deceived yourselves, right? To just hear and retain information is deception because this is meant. This truth, this word is meant to uh, not just consume you, but then come out of you, right? He says you've deceived yourselves if all is all you've done is heard. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but is a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Isn't that interesting that he talks about the bridling of your tongue right next to this passage that says hearing and not doing? Why are those two connected? Why, is that? why, is he, why does he talk about the bridling of your tongue right after he talks about hearing and not doing? What happens when you hear and don't do? What are you for, If anyone's going to know what I believe, and I'm not a doer of what I believe, what is the only way in which they can know what I believe? If I say it. Right? Right? And he's talking about this deception. And some of the, some of the loudest people in our culture today, that's all they got. If you were to take a look inside their lifestyle, all of what they say would be found to be false. It's our tendency, though. If there's no lifestyle to back it up, we believe if I can say it loud enough, people will believe it about me, and I don't have to actually show them my lifestyle, right? You guys know the famous famous saying. I believe it's uh, St. Augustine who said, uh, preach the gospel and use words if necessary, Right? If we, if we only proclaim and we have no lifestyle, we're not actually preaching the gospel. It's theory. Because the gospel is the good news that changes your life. If your life's not changed, you're preaching theory. And you are deceived. Jesus, in, in, in that uh, section of chapter 7 of Matthew that we just read, he says, this is how you're going to know the wolves, right? Right? This is how you're going to know the false prophets if what they say doesn't match who they are. So he goes on, and he says, pure and undefiled in verse 27 religion before God and the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. All of those things are action oriented, they're doing, right? So he stresses here Jesus' point to be a doer, not just a hearer. Now, I wanna show you this in some practical terms, and I don't mean to say that we take the scripture and make it practical. That's not what I'm saying. I wanna show you what this actually translates to and looks like. Why is it so important for us to be doers? Go to Matthew 14. I love this. I love this picture because Jesus has just taught these guys Right, they've they've been in some form of this rabbinical schooling, okay, and he's saying, okay, the, the the honor right is that Jesus would call them, that Jesus would say, follow me, blows these guys mind because they were no in no way qualified, but he says follow me, and they literally leave everything, okay, that's what that's what a rabbi would ask of his disciples. You've got to leave everything. It's no wonder that Jesus tells uh, his guys, let the let the dead bury their dead. He says the son of man has no place to lay his head, right. He's talking about a life that's completely, completely turned over to him and walking with him. Now, that's the the demand of a rabbi. I think we say it very cheaply. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Are we? Because that meant something here. That meant something here. And in Matthew 14, I I just want to show you the connection between hearing and doing. What is his desire to do? And and this is a a, a famous story. No doubt you will have heard this before, uh, but I want to read it anyway. So in verse 15, it says, When it was evening... Again, his disciples, right? His disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Right? This is a very rational statement. Right? It says, listen, man, this is Nacogdoches. There's nowhere to eat. (laughs) You've got kind of the same options everywhere, right? Anybody tired of the Nacogdoches rotation? Um, people ask me to go to lunch And I'm like oh, <laughs> I don't want to pick uh, Sorry So they say this is a deserted place There's nowhere to eat there's nowhere to, there's nowhere to drink Let's go The hour's late We need to go And they need to eat We need to eat Let's go They're very physically focused here And Jesus said to them They do not need to go away And listen to what he says You give them something to eat Okay, Rabbi, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> again, contextually, you got to understand, these, these are his disciples. So he's going to constantly thwart their, their system of thinking and doing. He's trying to pull them into a new reality. And he's just spent lots of time back in these previous chapters teaching about what it's like to live in the kingdom and actually follow Jesus. And then they, now, he's, now he's teaching them by the doing, okay? So they say, listen, man, we gotta go away. Uh, these guys gotta eat, we gotta eat. And Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You feed them. Well, we just said all we've got is like McDonald's and it's closed, even though I know that's a weird thing to say because it never closes. Burgers go continually, it's weird. Uh, there's nowhere no to eat, but Jesus says, you do it. Now, why does Jesus not say, watch this, why why does Jesus not say, it's all right, guys, I'm the son of God, right? He could have. (laughs) Sincerely, we believe. He opened his mouth and the son, like, came out, right? This is a guy that's capable. He says, I only do what I see my father do, and he's training his disciples in the doing. So he says, you do it. Now, how could he say it? It goes on and it says, and they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. Where is their focus? We know it from the first statement they make. We're hungry and these people need to eat. And then what do they say? We only have this much. Where's their focus? Somebody that's not mumbling. The tangible, the tangible right? The, the physical, what they see. Now, remember, Everything is context. Remember, what is Jesus teaching them to be focused on? The kingdom, right? you got to be focused on the supply that I give. To follow me is to, to minister under a heaven that is wide open and available to you. Take your eyes off of what you see. And that's what he's teaching them to do. So he says, you do it. And they say, man, all we've got are these loaves and The fish, and Jesus says, bring them here to me. So this is where they're probably like, finally, he takes it. Like We don't know what is supposed to happen here, but let's let Rabbi do it, right? And then, anybody ever put the pressure on you like this? He commands the multitudes. The multitudes. We're gonna read here in a minute. This is maybe uh, close to 15,000 people. The men are the only, one that are, only ones that are counted in this uh, 5,000, okay? So this is, this is between uh, seven and 15,000 people. Have you ever seen that large of a group? Like, you ever been to maybe a sporting event? And Jesus stands up and he says, sit down, it's time to eat, <laughs> The disciples are like, oh man, <laughs> this is gonna be a good one, right? Like, they're about to see him rock the place, okay? And it says, uh, He commands the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. Now we read very quickly through this, but imagine what happens. He's got five loaves and two fish. He looks up to heaven, he blesses it, breaks it, and then what does he do? He hands it to them. Right after he just told everybody to sit down and eat. Like guys, sit down. I'm, we're about to we're about to do something, right? And they're they're sitting back, thinking, "All right, he's going to do something." And then he blesses it and says, "Here, you do it." Low pressure. All right. I, he gives it to the disciples because Jesus is teaching them the doing of being a disciple. Because theoretically. They could have said, I believe the miracle can happen, right? Think about this. This is what we do. I believe it. I believe that that can happen. Do it. Well, I don't know. I don't really believe it, right? They could have sat back and said, I believe that Jesus can feed all of these people. But that was not the goal of Jesus, was to get them into some sort of confession of their mouth or their mind that he could do what he said he was going to do. He says, if you really believe that this miracle is possible, you do it. And he hands them the bread. And it says, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. That's verse 19 in the very end. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So where does the miracle actually happen? Is it in Jesus' hands? Who was holding the miracle? Who tangibly had a grasp on the miracle? The disciples. It was in their hands that the food was multiplied. Guys, this is significant. For whatever reason, I can't explain the thought process of heaven, but for whatever reason, God created us to walk in partnership with him to accomplish his purposes on the earth. And we say, could God do all that he wants to do completely alone and by himself? Yes, absolutely. God is sovereign, perfect, powerful, and beyond all that we could ever ask, dream, or imagine. Yes, but for some reason, he's teaching us something. For some reason, he's called us into a life where he says, look, I want you to partner with me. I want to do what I'm going to do on the earth through you. Anybody else honored? And so what did he do in order that it might be accomplished? Do you think he's serious about partnering with us? Absolutely, he sacrificed his son that you might be cleansed and filled so that we might walk in unity and fellowship with him to do what he wants to do on the earth. Jesus prayed it. He said, I want you to bring heaven on the earth. So Jesus is slain that you might be made new. And then filled with the very thing that enables us to accomplish the task, the Holy Spirit of God, and then asked to walk in obedience and partnership with the Son of God as heaven comes to earth. But the miracles are going to take place in our hands. The ones who said, We'll follow you. We don't just believe you in theory, we don't just read our Bible. Uh, and show up on, on Sunday and proclaim a truth that has no lifestyle. We're gonna walk with you as the miraculous takes place in our hands. He multiplied the bread in obedience. Do you see that? I, I just, if you, if you look at your life, this has been a real accountability point for me, a real tough question to ask myself. If I look back at a season of my life and I go, man, God, where were the miracles? He says, where is the obedience? God, I said I believed you. Why wouldn't you just... I confessed, God, I did all the right things. I confessed a belief that you were possible. But I believe that the theme of the scriptures says that in order for the miraculous to take place, when we really see the miraculous take place in our lives is when we not just believe the words of Jesus, but then we actually step out into the life that those words call us to, right? Right? If you want to see the miraculous take place, start making disciples. It's obedience to Jesus. Don't just tell other people to do it. Right? Right? It takes, example, my favorite example. Jesus had the priests who were leading the, the, um, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. Before he parted the Red Sea, what did they have to do? Where did they have to step? They had to put their feet in the water. He said, I'm going to part it. I'm going to part it. Get in. <laughs> I'm going to feed them. Open your hands. It's not just enough for them to step back and say, God, I believe that water can move. God says, get in it and watch it move. I believe we release the supernatural in the world around us, the miraculous, when we walk in obedience to him, when our lifestyle connects with our confession, right? I believe that's the difference between a form of godliness and lacking the power. See, because we can take on a form of godliness by just what we say. We can, we can fool. Look, I could fool you because I have a platform. I could, I could preach all day long, and I could fool you into believing that somehow this stuff actually happened in my life because I, have, because I have a platform and I can open my mouth, and I can convince a lot of people about something that's not really true, but you want to know what won't be in my life? Power. Authority and the miraculous. It'll just be confession. But when I actually step out in obedience to the things I said I believed God could do and would do in me, that's where the miraculous will take place. That's where you're going to see the power. That's where you're going to see the authority. That's where you're going to see the miraculous. That's where you're going to see you take a hold of your life. Against the strongholds that right now seem huge, but God says, You have my authority. But we don't ever step out into His authority. If we don't ever believe what He said He would do in us, then those things around us, man, are gonna stay big. And we're gonna try to deceive people into believing that I don't really have problems in my life. I'm a good Christian. So the last thing I wanna show you is in the end of, go back to chapter seven. I, lo- I love how He closes it. He says what this creates in your life. Because Jesus' goal here is to create a foundation, to create foundation out of lifestyle, not out of confession. And He says that anyone who hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on a rock. He says, "And when the rain comes when the storm happens, he will be stable. But he, he says two things. He doesn't just say anyone who hears them and confesses them will be like a man built on the rock. He says anyone who hears these sayings of mine and actually does them, that creates foundation. So what is the foundation for a believer? What is, what is the thing which Jesus wants to establish under our feet which will hold us against the storm? Lifestyle. If we practice what we say, if we actually live what this book says, then the storm will not shake you. Then the winds will not move you. But how many of you are tossed to and fro in your life? How many of you, every time the wind blows, you fall over? I bet if you were to examine your life, you'd have a lot of of proclamation and a lot of believing, but not a lot of doing. Because when it uh, that's not going to use that word, uh, but when, when life happens and you're not a doer of what you believe, life will run you over. Can anybody agree with that? Man, guys, it's not, it's not, en- it's not enough for us just to talk about it. Because an unbelieving world looks at us and they say, man, there's a lot of confession there of some powerful things, but they're dealing with the same thing I'm dealing with and they're underwater more than I am. Their dad just got a, a disease and, uh, and, and passed away suddenly, just like mine did. And, and they're, they're down and out way more than I am. What is this power that you speak of? And I want to promise you when life happens, if you don't have a foundation of hearing, hearing is necessary, right? I'm not eliminating hearing. you got to hear God. But then you got to do it. If all you ever do is hear and become this bobblehead of knowledge, then when it happens, you're going to, you're going to be mowed over. but our lives are supposed to represent the miraculous. Our lives are supposed to reflect the power of God in heaven. And I wanna just, I wanna tell you guys, this stuff about just reading your scriptures, praying enough and coming to church, it is not enough. God doesn't look at us and go, man, you guys behaved so well. I'm so proud of you that you didn't go out last Thursday night. And get plastered with everybody else. Crown, right? It's not the kingdom. The kingdom is hearing, the kingdom is doing, the kingdom is set in lifestyle with a gaze focused in heaven, adoring Jesus continually and walking in obedience to his Holy Spirit. That's where we'll see power released. It's got to start with hearing God. You want want revival on your campus? You better start hearing God. You better walk on that campus and go, God, I want to hear you on behalf of this place. I want to hear you on behalf of these classmates. I want to hear you on behalf of the one that sits next to me, who I know is ravaged by the demonic. I want to hear you on on their behalf. And then when you hear God and he would say, okay, now go put your hands on him and pray, do it. Because if all we ever do is hear, there will never be power released in our obedience. So, I wanted to push you a little bit. I'm done pushing. I've said what I needed to say over and over again. But we have created a form of godliness that looks like behavior, and it looks great in church, but it does nothing out there. And Jesus says, <laughs> This is powerful words, guys. Jesus says, Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, did I not? And he says, you never knew me. Any tree that does not bear good fruit will be cast into the fire. <laughs> Guys, he's a bit serious here, right?